Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Brandon Jinx Jenkins. We have a new show called No Skips with Jinx and Shay. In it, we discuss the most unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on Sunday night, the 25th anniversary of Independence Day. So that went up. Check out the Ringer social feeds and TheRinger.com because we're going to have a little Ringer Films announcement on Wednesday. New thing we have coming out. Stay tuned for that. Coming up, Rosillo and I are going to talk about game one of the 2021 finals, which we just watched. That's all next. First, Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It is 8.36 Pacific time. Just watch game one of the 2021 NBA Finals. Phoenix, Milwaukee. Rosillo's guy, Chris Paul, is now three wins away after an impressive home win in Phoenix. Giannis was the story. He went from doubtful to questionable to all of a sudden he was playing. When you go from doubtful to questionable, you kind of have the, the sense, right? Kind of yeah, when they do the jump. Once that happened, you're like, okay, he's playing. And then you watch him do the warm-up stuff. And, you know, I thought for the most part, we'll get to it in a little bit, but, you know, for somebody who went through that injury, um, he looked to be moving pretty well in the pregame stuff. So he showed us stuff during the game where it looked like there was no doubt. They probably knew yesterday. So whatever. Yeah, I think he, I had always heard he could have played game seven if the Hawks series went to game seven. I thought he looked better in the first half than the second half. I thought he looked a step slower. I don't know if it was wear and tear there trying to be, you know, take it easy with him or whatever. I if he's not 100%, I would have considered maybe just waiting until game two because the home team's usually going to win game one for the most part. I didn't feel like he was moving. He seemed rusty to me, uh, especially in the second half. First half, he had, you know, a couple Giannis-like moments. But for the most part, I didn't think he was as impactful as I thought he was going to be. But I, I can't tell if it was the matchup or the rest. What would you think? You know, it was more defensively some of the stuff that I saw from him because, you know, they went zone on him at one point, which kind of, 
it's the, it's its own version of a Giannis wall uh, trying yeah. to deal with him offensively because he had that one time where he got free on the baseline on the left side one on one at eight and and he went left and then he went into his chest and moved him backwards and I mean that's the thing I do love about Giannis and we saw that when like Embiid and those guys were trying to like fight for territory in the Eastern Conference and Giannis would always go right at Embiid. Not to say he was going to win all the time, but he was never afraid. And that's something about Giannis that I've always loved. And when you saw that play against Aiton, I'm like, oh shit. But there was a stretch there defensively. He was late on bridges just because he was late on two threes. It just happened. It wasn't like he he was helping on a drive sort of, but then he was kind of late to recover. There was that pass into the corner where Crowder like Giannis pointed ahead to somebody else to catch him, and it was Giannis's guy, and he was just mm. really late. And then there was another switch where Aiton ended up getting the free look at the rim because Giannis, like, there was a screen that kept Lopez off of him. But Bill, there were there were things there, and again, what he went through. I'm not like criticizing him, but it seemed like he, and at times, honestly, Milwaukee felt like the slower team for the beginning of this game until like yeah. the third quarter. I agree. Phoenix had three of the best four players in the game tonight, and it felt like. I, I was just, I was writing down notes as it was happening. And it, you know, like I thought I was texting with House before. I'd, I had a tentative Milwaukee in six. I put a little money on it. It was five to one odds. I just like the odds the most because I figure if they're going to win, they're going to win in six. Holiday was nine to one to win the finals MVP. How do you feel about I that there, now? Well, <laughs> I felt terrible. Um, I thought there was so much consensus on the Suns. Everyone was picking them. Everyone's like Paul or Booker for MVP. I was just trying to go where the value went. But at the same time, I was like, I can't wait to watch this because I feel like when I watch this, this matchup's going to fall into place. And the thing that jumped out of me pretty quickly was that there's some Buck stuff going on that's actually bad for them against this Phoenix team. Like, I don't really know what Tucker does in this series. All the stuff Tucker brings to the table that you would love I mean, they had him guarding Chris Paul. Felt like Chris, whenever he really wants, he's going to do whatever he wants against Tucker. Offensively, Tucker's a zero. Um, tonight, he was minus 14. Played 33 minutes. But um, the lineups that we've seen succeed against Phoenix are kind of the Giannis with the four small ball guys. The problem for Milwaukee is they don't really have that lineup, right? They have to do like Bryn Forbes all of a sudden was playing the whole fourth quarter. He's out there with Conant and Holiday and Middleton and Giannis. And that was the lineup they had the most success with. My point is, I think Phoenix might get through this whole playoffs without playing a single team that has the kind of lineup that I think would give them trouble in a playoff series, which is basically what the Clippers had, except they didn't have Kawhi, right? And remember like they would have Reggie Jackson, and man and Luke Kennard and they were spreading them out with all these slasher guys, but it wasn't quite the right lineup. And Phoenix might just be able to escape the playoffs without ever playing it. The Lopez problem, you know, was a huge part of game one. And, you know, Van Gundy was on it and he was really good with it. He's like, okay, yep. so they're switching everything. And you could see a couple times early, like Chris Paul's like, all right, so this is how you're going to play it. You're going to switch it. All right. Like, hold on. Let me take a deep breath, assess the situation, mm. take a nap, and then I'm going to make my move. Booker got Lopez in one switch where he almost like was startled about how much time he had to make a decision. And it yep. was really easy. Okay. It was really easy. And then they even got eight on some good seals because they didn't have any size at the rim. And then they played. They they went to drop coverage, and then they got smoked on that. Then they brought in Bobby Portis, who's like, I love to blitz the point guard. And then Chris Paul's like, all right, are you seriously, Bobby Portis? You want to yeah. like hand check me 30 feet away from the hoop? All right, I'm going to blow by you. And then he hits a three on him. And then they were like, okay, now don't switch it. 
to Portis because it was PJ as the initial defender. They're like, don't switch it. Keep two with Chris Paul this time. And Chris Paul read that before they were even ready yeah. and throws it to Aiton in the lane. And then Aiton gets fouled as he's going up against a layup against a guard. So, like, Chris Paul, this is why I love him. But, like, other teams, it takes forever to figure this stuff out. Chris Paul figures out immediately. He's like, okay, now you're off the switch. All right, now you're dropping. Okay, now you're bringing in Portis. Okay, now you're going to double me. And then, oh, you're bringing in Bryn Forbes to close out the fourth quarter of an NBA Finals game. We're going Bryn Forbes, honey. Right, and you actually need Bryn Forbes. That was the other kind of shocking thing. You need the space. You need the shooting. I remember when we started talking seriously about Phoenix as a contender three, four months ago, the questions I had were Aiton, And then these young guys that they were relying on, just like what kind of composure would you have as the pressure got, you know, the spotlight got hotter and hotter. I was so impressed by their composure and their identity tonight, right? Just like all the guys, even Crowder, who sucked from a shooting standpoint, he still affected the game. They still played eight guys. Sarge got hurt, which I, who knows if there will be ramifications from that as the series went on. But for the most part, everybody who was in this game they know what to do. They know where to go. They all trust each other. They have a real identity. So that was the one thing. The other thing is the thing we've been talking about over and over again, the eight and stuff. And there was a play that I thought of you. It was probably like two minutes left. Paul was Paul was, uh, was like a little high screen. Eight and went to the basket. And Paul just kind of blindly threw it toward him. Nate and caught it. And it was the last bucket he scored. And Van Gundy was like just immediately impressed by it. It was the play Aiton couldn't have made four months ago. And the fact that in one season that they have that kind of chemistry now is pretty frightening. I don't think, I honestly don't know if Chris has played with a, with a big guy like that. I mean, you would say like like DeAndre DeAndre? Tyson Chandler, but Aiton, I just feel like he's more athletic and coordinated from, you know, from a 20 foot running start like that. Hey, I just, I'm just so blown away by him over consistently. Every game never gets in foul trouble. Today, he he did, it was the first guy since Tim Duncan to have a 15-15 in his first finals game. Like, this is nuts. I, I don't really fully understand it. I've never seen somebody improve this dramatically over the course of four months who actually could swing a title. And how about this? As a young guy, he loves telling everyone how much Chris Paul bitched at him all season. I know. He I wanted to punch him. <laughs> right. like these, there's other millennials going, hey, relax. Right. Don't, <laughs> don't let this catch on. I know. He's like, here's my millennials actually too old. I was just trying to throw out a phrase. Yeah, whatever the I don't want a generational fight here. Well, Um, Aiden, so Aiden finished tonight with uh, 22 and 19. He was eight for 10. It's just every game he doesn't get in foul trouble and he makes 70 to 80% of his shots and grabs 15 to 20 rebounds. And this is just, I guess, who he is now. And I kept thinking, like, okay, they have to match Giannis's minutes with Aiden all the time, like any minute, because when the, the Sarich minutes were happening, I'm like, oh, whoa. And then it it wasn't really, I don't know how many minutes Giannis was on where Aiton was off because Aiton came out at the start of the fourth and he had played 31 minutes and Giannis had only played 25. So Giannis had played like six less minutes. So Bud could kind of he played, make he a played run 30, at it. 39. Yeah. Aiton. So he's just going to, he's going to be out there, I would imagine, to match Giannis almost all the time. And, and look, as weird as this game was, it got to seven with a ton of time left. Milwaukee started hitting threes. The small Mm. lineup was better. And I want to finish the small lineup thought here because I do think this is important. Because game one against Atlanta, Lopez looked unplayable after game one. But we've learned this before, okay? One of the many lessons the playoffs teach us here is that because game one happened, it doesn't mean game two is going to look just like game one, right? 
And just because somebody looks terrible in a matchup, more often than not, big guys, it doesn't mean the coach just abandons them. And yes, Trey not being a part of the closing or a healthy Trey not being a part of the closing thing and seeing Lopez have other good moments in that series like reminds us of all these things. But Lopez came out of game one against Atlanta with 445 left in the third quarter. Didn't come back in the game until he was a late rebound sub with under a minute to go. All right. So Phil Bud just was like, all right, this is it. We get he did the same thing tonight. At 78 62, 442 left in the third. We didn't see Lopez again in this game. So I think Coach Bud tried a million different things tonight. So for people who are like, oh, no adjustments, no adjustments. I mean, honestly, you could argue he made he made so many adjustments until he got to the adjustment that seemed like it kept him more competitive. But I'd also caution against like, okay, now they have to go small and no Brooke Lopez because we've made that mistake, as I just said. And look, let's be honest. I even thought Phoenix started to go a little slow, Bill, because they just felt like they were in such control of the game that there's a tendency to leak a little bit and then the lead starts to shrivel anyway. I agree. Well, with Lopez, I think there's now it, it doesn't look like Sarge is coming back. That actually looked like a bad knee injury. It looked like something legit happened. So they can spot Lopez against in all the nine, eight minutes, right? I want him out there for every single minute against Kaminsky, whatever. They'll, they'll figure Tory out. Tory Craig? Like, yeah, I whatever. Mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Like you said, this happened last year. And the the other thing, if I'm the Bucks, I'm looking at it like, I didn't know I was going to get Giannis, you know, to play 35 minutes until probably the day before. I missed, what, 12 layups in the first three quarters? Yeah. All those stuff around the rim. They just like couldn't buy a break. I didn't feel like they were getting a ton of calls either. And then, uh, and Chris went nuclear in the third quarter. He just made everything. <laughs> like, if you're going to have a Chris Paul 16-point third quarter, you're probably going to be in trouble if you're the other team. I like the way the Suns played. I don't know if you're just thinking like, hey, what could the Suns do better? Like, yeah, they were 11 for 34 from three. For the most part, that was, you know, I would say 90% as well as they could play. But Milwaukee seemed like they had a lot more room. The thing for me with Milwaukee... I, is Holiday, what, what is Holiday at this point? What's going on with this guy? Like, as I said earlier, I bet him for finals of a P9-1. I thought he was incredible in game six against Atlanta. I thought that was one of the more dominant two-way games I've seen from a guard in a while. He was guarding everybody. He was doing everything. And he was, in general, really good in that series. I think he was 22-10-5, but he has this, you know, you see him in some of these games and it's like, what the hell happened to this guy? And then he'll come back the next day. He's fine. But I thought they needed him tonight. I think they need his offense in this series. I think they need to make Paul and Booker like defend people and do and do stuff on the defensive end. Use some energy. If Holiday's not going to do that, um, the, I don't think the Bucks have a chance. I think we all like Drew Holiday. I think all of us that have watched Drew Holiday over his career are like, man, I'd love to have that guy on my team. Yeah. And now that he's in the spotlight, um, you're like, I guess I'd still like him, but maybe I'd be less excited if I got him because this has been bad. I, and I don't, look, I know he's had his moments. He's good enough to have one of those big games. I mean, he had an, a, that abysmal Brooklyn game was a game five, and then he just lit it up at the very end. And you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, he looked game lost. Yeah. Uh, was it game seven? That was the game? One, yeah, one of them. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. Right. Where he made, he, I think it was game seven, though. It was it, Everything was terrible until all of a sudden he made every shot. And you were like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, by the way, it was game seven. My bad. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, he's 18 and six with eight and a half assists through the playoffs. You know, he's 42, 30% from three, 42 but overall. But it was so much but Middleton today. They were so Middleton heavy that it's just, that's not, you're not going to win the finals like that. They need a second guy. And, you know, they, they weren't going to Giannis at all with that Brooklyn, that stuff that they kind of tapped into in the Brooklyn series and then more in Atlanta before he got hurt, where they were really icing him on one side and letting him either draw a double or try to crash into the paint, little jump hook stuff. They didn't really do that at all today. Uh, I just think they need more from Holiday because Jeff Teague played 10 minutes tonight to put their... No, Holiday was terrible for game one. I mean, Holiday, when you look at him and you're like, yeah, they gave up potentially four first rounders for this guy and a max extension. And you're like, wait, what? Um, He's been way too up and down. You know, look, I think think everything you've said about him in the past feels fair, but... There's these moments where on this kind of spotlight, like it's almost like, hey, should I just kind of temper my expectations for him a little bit? Not saying he can't have a really big game. I think we've done this with Middleton at times too. But I think your overall point is right in that it felt like, I don't know if it's Giannis being out of shape and not being in that game shape. I mean, it's just hard to stay in that kind of game shape. You're not playing games. But it felt like they just kind of went away from him and they were hitting threes that was getting him into it a little bit. But I'd agree that it felt like some long non-Giannis stretches when he was out there. Yeah, I mean, he finished at 20 and 17, and I'm disappointed by him, which tells you how, but how good that nothing. guy is. 20 is nothing yeah. anymore. Right, you're right. Uh, six for 11, seven for 12 from uh, from the free throw line. Middleton play, had to play 45 minutes in this game. And again, Jeff Teague played 10 minutes. And Did Jeff they go to Teague, Teague too late? Needed an, they is that needed what you're saying? An, I, listen, uh, they need small against this Phoenix team. It's a weird matchup for them. They, I think Phoenix's Achilles heel or one of them is when there's multiple guards out there. Um, one thing, one thing with, uh, actually, let's take a break and we'll come back because I had a follow-up holiday point. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe. Award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside. LDA, 21 and up. All right, so we were just talking about things Milwaukee could do in the uh, in the second game, which I think they need. I think it would be hard to beat this team four out of five unless they got some dumb injury or something weird happened. 
I don't know what you do with the PJ Tucker piece of this. And I don't know why you wouldn't tell Holiday, you're going to have to take Chris Paul out. We have to cut the head off the monster. Chris Paul is their head. Take him out. There was, there was in the late in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden he was on Paul and he was hounding him. And Paul's never like that in his career. He'll get by the guy, but it's, you know, you, you want to annoy him. You want to appeal to his competitiveness. You want to put some miles on him. I would just use Holiday as like, look, man, we're not winning the finals unless you're guarding Chris Paul on the one end and we're actually running some offense for you on the other hand, or else we're going to lose. So the series is now in your hands. I really do feel like he's the most pivotal guy for them. You're right. There was that late possession where he kind of tapped it at the half line or uh, half court line. And, you know, it wasn't a backcourt because it was tipped. And then you're thinking, man, this is this is the whole point of picking somebody up because now Chris Paul's initiating their offense at like 11 seconds in the shot yeah. clock. And it's a little less time for him, even though you trust him more than others to dissect something. But yeah, I mean, that's why I always have a ton of respect for Della Vadova because mm. it was you have one option here and that's you have to chase Steph Curry. And it's still, I mean, that's the thing. It's kind of your P.J. Tucker Durant point. You're like, did PJ really do a great job in those Durant minutes? And like, it's not, yeah, not really, it's not the final line. It may be the effort <laughs> that it yep. takes to get that final line. Uh, I'm, I'm with you because Drew's just too disappointing too often. Uh, we know he's not like all top 20. You know what I mean? We know, we know who he is. So I don't think we're sitting here acting like he's a top 15 player and making all NBA teams. But I think their effort was just was just off. And that's why I never know what to go with when everybody's like, oh, well, Phoenix has had all the rest and Milwaukee's the quick turnaround. Well, that should mean, I don't know. I, I think it should take you less time to ramp it up because if Milwaukee won this game, everybody say, oh, Phoenix had too much late uh, time off. The, the layoff was too long. Mm. I, I thought Milwaukee, I'm with you though. I just felt little, like they were slower. They were just slower until the game didn't matter. Little, little deer in the headlights, see? Tiny bit? Wee bit? Is that what you're going with? No, just a little smidge. I road? felt that way with Holiday, I because he was awesome in the Atlanta series, and in this in this game, I didn't know what's going on. But you know, if he's not going to play better, and if Giannis is going to be eighty two percent, I'm going to give. Oh, dude, why don't, why don't you ask me what I thought Giannis was percentage wise today? <laughs> I just don't know if you have enough data points, but I know that you're not afraid to throw out a percentage, even if you I feel like, like it's incomplete. I felt like he was eighty six percent first half, and I thought that dropped to like seventy four percent second half. I was going to say 86 of the whole game seems high. I know you're, yeah. I think was, I know your curve. Dip. Yeah. It was a dip, dip 74%. All right. Uh, other topics for you. Which team out of these two teams is less likely to ever be back in the NBA finals with their current crews? Would you say Milwaukee or Phoenix? What, who is the desperation? Hey guys, let's take this seriously. We're probably not going to be back. If you had to pick between these two teams. It's not like a, it's not one dramatically over the other, right? It isn't. I feel like Phoenix, it is. Oh, oh so I you're just like going to go is. with the Chris Paul 36, no chance they're no. going to have this run again? You think it's the other way. All right, go ahead. I think it's Milwaukee. Wow. I didn't expect that. Why? Because I think Brooklyn was so clearly the best team and Brooklyn is so clearly going to be just as good next year unless Kyrie manages to completely submarine them that this was a unique opportunity for a team that played Jeff Teague 10 minutes tonight to actually play in the NBA Finals and have a chance to win. Their bench was Bobby Portis, Jeff Teague, Pat Connaughton, and Bryn Forbes. And they're in the Finals. Hustling Forbes. P.J. Tucker played 33 minutes tonight for them in a Finals game. I just feel like 
between this and if Philly figures out like the the right Simmons trade, um, I have them third next year. I, I do feel like there's some desperation with this stuff. And you're like, no, 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 it's fine. Giannis, he's still coming into his own. There's more stuff for it. It's like, I don't know, dude. You're you're paying your three guys. The your entire salary cap is going to three guys. Every, you're not going to be able to live on the fringes of free agency. You have no draft picks. How are you going to be better off next year? You're going to be in a better situation. I look at the Suns and I'm like, is Chris just going to play till he's 43 now? Yeah, maybe. Aiton's going to be better. Booker, all the stuff he learned this year, their swing guys are all under control. They'll get one more veteran guy. They'll, I feel like they're right back in it next year. So you were I don't thinking know, everybody finals, else, but they're no, in the no. mix. This is this is a good point, and it's the same exercise that you put us through last year when you were like, "This is Boston's window." When they didn't beat Miami, I talked you into that. It took me like three podcasts, but I think I got you there. You did, you did, and it was a really good point. But the thing is, I'll always look at the roster first, and you always look at it from the outside. You kind of combine it with the roster, but then you look at everybody else's roster. And I was a little well, too roster yeah, it's focused. Like, can you get better? Is there an actual path for you to improve next year? And then what is the situation in the conference? You know, if you're looking at Phoenix, I think Phoenix can be just as good next year. The issue for them is like, what happens if Golden State nails the seven and 14 See, picks? This is the, this is why what happens gonna, if Davis right. and LeBron come back? What happens if Murray is back by March? Like the West is deeper, but I think Phoenix will, their team will be just as good. And you know, they're getting another veteran guy. I mean, they'll have... Could you see Blake Griffin on that team next year or somebody like that? Like they could easily grab the older searching for a ring guy somewhere. I could see Phoenix being a little deeper and whatever drop off you'd see from Chris Paul, you probably expect an uptick from Aiton. So maybe the sum of the parts is still just as good. But I think Jalen being... Smith, little Jalen Smith, uh, year two. How bad Blossom? is he in practices that he can't get any minutes when they desperately <laughs> need a They're like, sorry, we need Kaminsky. <laughs> Kaminsky's going to play. Kaminsky could heard... play on Charlotte. When I heard Kaminsky blitz coverage from Van Gundy tonight, I was like, hey, I don't know. That's what it, here's what I think you're doing, though. I think you're you're penalizing Milwaukee for who's better than them in the conference. You're being convenient about the rest of the teams. Best case scenario, because the Golden well, State thing Atlanta? is part of it. How about Atlanta's another one? Like I, I think Atlanta will. I don't know what happens with Collins. That's the big X factor for them. Is what are they going to do with Collins? Because I don't think they're paying him ninety million bucks. I just don't. So maybe at least not as good next year. Um, He might not want their 90 million. (laughs) Yeah, I think the Collins thing, I mean, unless they just go, hey, I mean, that's something ownership would have to sign off on and be like, this guy's maybe not even the fourth most important player on this team. And then we're going to go ahead and keep him, even though they don't think he's a great fit. Or or you sign him, you lock him down, and you know, like six months from now, you could trade him potentially. Yeah, but he's felt like he's been available to everybody the whole time. But the restricted free agency part of it is always really complicated because you're like, okay, so we're going to move assets up for another guy, but. I mean, if you have to do it, then you have to know that you're going to match. And then the teams always tell everybody in the media, they're like, oh, we'll match it, we'll match it. They never tell us, actually, we're never going to match this guy. Um, You know what else Atlanta has? A whole summer and fall of Cam Reddish. Don't know if you saw game six. A lot of seeds were planted. Dude, I mean, he was awesome in that game. People love Cam Reddish now. (laughs) He was great. He completely changed the whatever feelings were about his career in two hours. Yeah, where it's it was like, almost, man, this guy's not afraid. He's guarding Middleton on one end. He's hitting threes in traffic on the other end. What's happening right now? It was the Romeo Langford storyline on steroids. Right. It really was. <laughs> it was like, there was like a little, 
there was like a mild andro over the counter GNC Romeo Langford moment. <laughs> and Cam Rennish was just straight D ball to the thighs, and your girlfriend shooting you up to start your day. You know so, what was the best thing about the Rennish was his facial expressions after every made three, where it was like those faces, like, I told you, I fucking yeah. told you, I told you this was going to happen. He was so, con- he was so irrational, confident. I loved it. It was good. I think Atlanta's going to be good next year. Backpedaling every time. Motherfuckers doubt me. <laughs> Damn <laughs> them. That's what it, all right, I'm so sitting here on. this whole time. There was one other thing that I think we had. Hey, there's no way there isn't going to be some weird Lakers acquisition that pisses off the world. All right. The DeRozan stuff has started both uh, on the internets and in the NBA whisper circles. There's DeRozan buzz now. And I okay. do think, I don't think they can be countered out with a Lowry signing trade. I mean, you could talk to 10 people and hear Lowry's going to 10 teams. Lowry is just all, you know, on every team. He's headed, he's 90% there. Name a team, he's he's heading there. But, you know, there there's a world in which maybe they have DeRozan and, uh, and Lowry next year. All right. Uh, you're in the middle of a Kyle Lowry point, and then we had technical difficulties. We got derailed for 10 minutes. In my opinion, this is why you're one of the pros, because we're now asking you to travel back in time 10 minutes right as you were making some Kyle Lowry point that I didn't even know where you were going. We'll see if you can do it. Ryan Rossello, you have the floor. There was the word that Kyle Lowry was looking at like two for 50. Mm. So, and again, go for it. I mean, he's proven that an older guard, like he's still really good. So... You know, you can ask for it. I don't know if that's what it'll get. I think there's going to be a couple weird contracts with a depleted supply and a bunch of teams that had space that are just going to use it, maybe front load some deals. I don't know if we're going to get like a Jabari Parker deal for one year that was insane. But yeah, I don't, if that's, if that's part of the equation, like it's not like you're going to be getting him at short money unless he completely changes his priorities. So it's interesting because he already won a title. So normally we'd be like, well, you know, he wants to play for a contender, wants a chance to win the title. He might not care as much because he actually has the title. He might want to go for like a good team where he's also properly compensated. I think the Knicks are the favorite in my mind for this one. I think the Knicks will kick the tires as hard as humanly possible on the Chris Paul thing. And knowing that they're probably not going to get him, that he's going to stay in Phoenix because why wouldn't he? But they're also going to make Phoenix pay for him. I think there's some real suspicion within the National Basketball Association, whether uh, our guy, Big Shot Bob Sarver, is going to be willing to have three basic max guys on his team because he's going to have to give Aiton the whatever extension this this uh, summer, plus Booker's already making a lot, and then Chris is going to have to make a lot. So the Knicks, you know, his Leon and Wes are his guys. They're running the Knicks. They're going to help Chris get paid. If the Suns don't want to pay him, the Knicks will happily step in and be like, well, here. And if that doesn't happen, I think Lowry's the backup, is my guess. I'd still have a hard time believing, even though Sarver's history isn't great when it comes to spending. Um, now, when you're isn't finally great. in place, you know, it's, it's a horrible. disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, but he had now a stretch it's there like, of, of selling draft picks. I mean, again, it was a long time ago, but it was awful there for a while. So go ahead. Well, I just think now it's it's a different level because this team has clicked with the with the city and the success they've had, and they're probably going to win the title. And to Basically be like, okay, got what I wanted. Thanks for everything, Chris Paul. Your new point guard is Cameron Payne. I just don't see that <laughs> happening. 
The question for me is what's a fair contract for Chris? I mean, we can talk about this after the finals, but it's just like it, he's already done stuff that nobody's done before. He's doing stuff three years past when we've seen stuff, people do anything like this at the point guard position. So do you want to, you want to be in that Kobe contract situation where you're basically paying for past performance? Or do you really think he has another two, three years in him? Because he changed his diet. He seems as fast and as explosive as ever. I feel like he's as good as he's been at any point in the last six, seven years. So I don't think he's peak quick as, as he was when he was in his twenties. Um, no, I'm saying, I'm saying since like, I don't know, he's been in his thirties for a while now, right? Yeah. He's 36. Yeah. So I, think, I always years. thought he was going to opt out to look to do something, but then there's a version of it where you could extend him, but then there's the over 38 rule, which is kind of funny because we're talking about Chris Paul has as much power. I mean, he is the players association. Mm. And then there's a rule in there that kind of limits. It doesn't, you know, like he's still going to get paid, but you wonder like hypothetically if the, just the price goes way up, like how could it go up higher than it is now? But I, you know, it's kind of like the Flacco thing when he won the Super Bowl. people are like, man, his market went way up. You're like, actually he was baseline probably going to make what he made anyway, even if they had not won the Super Bowl that year. Right. Um, but people kind of just repeat it. And they'll say, that guy made himself a ton of money. I think the Chris Paul market was still going to be incredibly strong because of everything he did. But I don't know if it would be opt in to a huge number and do a two-year extension, I think would be legal. Or if he would just say, okay, I'm going to opt out because I want you know, a more average. It'd all be kind of the same money. So, I mean, the weird part is you'd think Chris would always just opt out to want the years and now... Uh, Maybe he just grabbed the giant one year and then be a free agent a year from now, bet on himself a little bit. Imagine if he did that. Holy stays shit. Stays healthy. And then... Let's, let's do some Chris Paul porn for a second. You've certainly done a lot on your podcast and we've done some here. But I was thinking like if they win the finals, on top of everything else that happened for him these last few rounds where like his round two, round three, the game tonight, like he's basically been, I don't know, 27 and 10 for... Uh, almost a month now. Uh, I have my top 40 list. I'm going to read you my top 20 later in this podcast where he moved up just because there was no way to avoid it. And on top of everything else, he he kind of threw a grenade at LeBron without naming him the other day when they asked him about the schedule. And he had this awesome answer about, hey, believe me, everyone had their chance to... Um, you know, profess some sort of hesitation or whatever about the schedule. And if they didn't say it then, I don't want to hear it. And it was clearly geared toward LeBron. And in general, like that relationship, I'm, the LeBron and Chris Paul and the LeBron and Dwayne Wade relationships are just fascinating in general for a lot of reasons. And LeBron and Carmelo too, where it's like, these guys are boys. And then Carmelo, LeBron could have signed him for like a year for the Lakers and never did it. Uh, the way how many was, years could he have like Melo gets a gig again and LeBron's like all of you guys are sleeping it's like dude yeah, you could have had including him for you years and then the Wade thing when they ended up in Cleveland together and then all of a sudden Wade was kind of quietly sent back in because LeBron needed more shooting around him for the 2018 finals that was a little weird and then the Chris thing with Chris throwing that dart I thought uh I thought that was also kind of interesting I think these guys are are buddies but also there's a little friend of me action kind of kind of percolating. I would imagine if they're very, very tight with LeBron. I mean, when LeBron sent out the injury tweet, I mean, I couldn't believe how consistently negative it was. Like, even, yeah. even people that are in the tank for LeBron, like, weren't backing him on that one as much. Because it, it just felt like, look, I'll have a prediction for you. Retirement LeBron, I don't know what to expect. 
because he's going to miss the spotlight so much. And I think that that was a little bit of a peek into that, that, you know, his team's home and it sucks. Those guys got hurt and yeah, there's been a ton of injuries, but silver was really, I thought not defiant, but he sounded like a leader going, I'm not quite sure what the science tells us yet. Cause we've yeah. seen that guys were resting more than ever. I mean, there's teams telling me they had like 15 or 17 practices total all season. So Everybody wants to go, hey, short turnaround. Okay, oh, that's why all these guys are getting hurt. I'm not saying no, but I'm also not sure if that everyone that's screaming that is saying yes. And I think Chris Paul's just sitting there being like, all right, LeBron, like you, I know you. And if you're going to say this about like my run, like I'm going to fight back because he fights back with everybody. You loved it. What a run for Chris Paul. It's really the summer of Chris Paul. Can Another I add topic. something else to it on Chris yeah, Paul? Yeah, please do. The Monty Williams part of this, because there wasn't one of us being like, you know what? They lose a lot, but Monty Williams, that guy's a hell of a coach. Okay? They had two winning seasons in five years. We all know the Pelican staff. I thought he was below average, honestly. Yeah. I thought he like cost them games and did really shaky stuff at the end of games. He and Chris Paul had to work it out. Like I think there was a, a friendship or a respect for each other, but that Monty was a very overbearing guy, and that's why sometimes... like. You know, I've I've always been more open minded about coaches because I I think there's so many times you're like, oh, well, look at this guy's record. He sucks. And you're just like, OK, is does he suck? Like, how did he ever get the job in the first place? Was some team trying something different. Yeah. OK, maybe that happens. But, you know, Monty and Chris had to work some stuff out here. And I don't think it was like some come to Jesus moment. I think it was a real like, hey, man, I was too much when I was there. I need to defer to you a little bit more. And then Paul's like. You're as good on the X's and O's stuff. Like, I don't even have to worry about any of that stuff. Like, I'd have to worry with maybe some other coaches. But I'm also Chris Paul, so you're going to trust me to run some of this stuff. So I think Monty, considering everything else this guy's had to go through in his life, I think it was a massive learning experience where whatever he is as a basketball coach, the fact that he could reinvent himself and identify some of his shortcomings that he had with Chris Paul and that they were fine with it, because that wasn't a great run down in New Orleans at all. And... I don't know. I, I think that's a really cool part of this entire storyline. I don't know if it's exactly like post Orlando, uh, post Orlando Vogel, but clearly Vogel, after getting his ass kicked down there, was like, all right, whatever I'm doing, like I got to make some changes here. Also getting LeBron helped. There's something to be said for the second go around. And just in general, if you've been in charge of anything for the first time, you go back and you look, I was thinking about this because it was 10 years ago since Grantland. I was thinking about how we did it that spring and summer and all, all the stuff I just didn't know. And you're kind of learning on the fly and you're trying to survive, basically. I'm sure being an NBA coach, NFL coach, any of these jobs, it all sounds great until you're actually doing it and you're in the middle of it. And I'm sure you would look back five years later and be like, oh man, wish I'd done this. I wish I'd known that, you know? And I, I would always target second job guys, unless it was like a unicorn type of possibility. Like if somebody like Nash becomes available, you know, that guy's going to be, that guy was a head coach when he played, you know? So you, you know, like, all right, if that guy's going in, he already has a lot of basics coming in there. I think Doc Rivers was probably the same way. Some of these ex point guards that were the coach on the floors, maybe it's a little easier, but for the most part, I wouldn't mind having the guy after he's failed once. I think Vogel's a great example. He failed twice, you know? And, and like, really got fucked in Orlando. Like they were just doing this rebuilding thing. Um, in general, it feels like the league is starting to change how they think about coaches and what types of coaches and what coaches make sense for different rosters. I really wonder like 
the old school screamer coach. I really wonder if that guy is is gone and not coming back. I always think that. And just to make sure everybody understands, like Monty and Chris Paul only had that one year together. They were still technically the Hornets and they had a decent record. And then they lost yeah. the Lakers in the first round. So I just I just want to make sure that like everybody understands that I understand. It's not like they were attached yeah, to together all for those 10 years. years. Right. Yeah. Right. But if you know, and this is not a guess here, if you know after that was over, it was like, oh, and then when it was like, okay, Chris Paul's going there in Phoenix and it's got Monty Williams, like there had to have been some kind of clearing the air conversation. And I don't yep. think it was that challenging, but I think it's a lot about those guys learning. Uh, your other point, though, I think is right on. I don't think a Stan, I don't think these guys want to hear him anymore. I just think the Stan Van Gundy is... Imagine 1997 Patino coming in the league now. <laughs> like, Patino, I'm going to make yeah. more money than most of you and I'm going to yell at you during the games all the time. Right. Good luck. And yelling at you to box out on the second free throw and calling you by your first name. Paul, box out. Paul, box out. Yeah. Like going, hey, I'm in the NBA now, man. Like, I don't I don't want to hear that stuff. So I, I'm not even knocking Van Gundy on the basketball side of it. I just think there's – but well, I always kind of think could, that. Though. Okay, but here's here's the question. Because this is another thing about like thinking we know who coaches are, right? Because a lot of times you're like, oh, this coach or no adjustment or he should have done this. And we're all experts about it when usually we don't really know what the hell's going on, okay? Because we're not around the team. Um, we're not beat guys. We're not in the locker room. But Brad Stevens would, by all indications of where this conversation's going, have the perfect temperament for it. And that Celtics team was soft as hell all year long. So, but, but he's been there that seven, eight years. Yeah, I just wonder is, is this a five year job with very, very, very rare exceptions? Well, it's probably that too. Right? Three but to five you, years. If you owned a team, which personality would you want to hire? Give I would a, go for Give me a cook. I, I would go ex player. I think that's where the league's going. I think there's, that's where you the think? world's going. <laughs> huh? No, I would just, I would want somebody. I think that's what players want in 2021. I think they're always going to respond more to a guy who at least played in the league and gets some of it and gets some of the rhythm of this stuff. Um, I thought Brad was the best non-NBA player coach that I'd seen in the last few years, and they burned out on him within four or five years. But I, two different people told me this with the Celtics. They signed Udoka um, to be the new head coach, and they heard from more people around the league who had interacted with him and just like, just loved the guy and oh my God. And they were kind of like startled by how beloved this guy was around the league. And I, I do think that's a blueprint for if you're looking for the coach, the guy who played, the guy who's been on some benches and really put in some time and been in some different situations and has built different relationships and things like that. Um, that's, that's who I would be looking at. I wouldn't be looking at the, oh, this guy was great on TV the last five years. I'm going to hire this guy. I just wouldn't be even thinking that way anymore. I, I think one of the reasons this is an interesting topic is just there's still jobs open, amazingly. There's still a couple of teams that haven't even hired a coach yet. And they're looking at all these ones. I think the days of bringing in the TV guy are, are done. I have more topics for you, but we got to take a, a quick break. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. 
Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, next topic. Phoenix in mid-July. Worst NBA Finals location ever? Did Green Bay have a team? You did it's a 110 degrees there all week. 110. I've had some great weekends in Scottsdale. I, I got to tell you, I don't know how you do it in the summer. That's why people leave in the summer. Here are your other options. I'm going to just give you some. Uh, in the 1950s, Syracuse had a finals team. Rochester. They played the finals when? In February back then? Yeah, it was like in April. Uh, Rochester. Fort Wayne. Tri-Cities. Minneapolis had it a couple times in the 50s. They won a few. The Lakers now claim those titles. 1956, Fort Wayne. I've heard ne Fort Wayne's actually crazy underrated. <laughs> the Fort Wayne Ritz is apparently amazing. If you like uh, Brooks. 19, 1960s St. Louis. There was some 1970s Baltimore. What are you and trying to say about 1970s Baltimore? I'm just going small cities. And then my personal choice, just because I went, went to it and covered it, 2012 OKC, where the city, the entire city was under construction, not realizing that they were going to host an NBA Finals. And it was just, well, detours and rerouting and you could, nothing was built. There were like two hotels. So anyway, I still think Phoenix in the 110s has to trump all of that. Phoenix in mid-July as a finals location is insane to me. It's 110 degrees there today. I spent one night in Oklahoma City. I was on my way out after a Sooners game. Yep. And usually those shifts were really long. It was always hard for us to get food. And it wasn't, we were radio, so it wasn't exactly a catered affair. Mm. And uh, I went back to the hotel and dialed up some delivery. And I figured, all right, like even bad pizza isn't terrible. When I tell you this is one of the worst pizzas man has ever created. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration. Bread and it was some so, ketchup on it? It was so bad, I would go, hey, I'm not asking for a refund. It's just but someone over there should know when this goes out the door that this, there was zero pride put into this. Mm. And... <laughs> you know, just you need to know, like, this isn't a Yelp review. I'm not asking for my money back. I don't want anything else. But you should know that this is, this is embarrassing. And if you were a publicly traded company, I would be shorting you Monday. But uh, the guy got so mad, like the lady was on the line. And then her husband got called me back in the hotel room and started screaming at me saying he knew where I was staying. And they were coming for me. I was like, I'm wow. so bored. Yeah, I was like, I'm so bored. <laughs> you were like, great. <laughs> I'll be up. I'll come be get, up watching Gold Rush. Some. What is your single worst work-related trip in the history of your career? 
Where was it? What time of the year was it? And what were you doing? I'll give you one that started really bad and ended really strong. Um, Because it's my favorite trip in retrospect, but didn't start great. Uh, McShay and I were at Texas, Texas Tech in Lubbock. It was my first time ever Mm. in Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock. And we drove all the way from... uh, I forget if we went through... Midland to get to Odessa or if it was the other way around because we were out of that airport. So we had to drive all the way out there. And when we checked in to the hotel, the other thing was is if there was some loss and the schedule would change where you needed to go for the biggest game, like Texas was in this incredible run. They were playing all these top teams and it was Halloween. It was Texas Tech and Texas Tech wins the game. It was unbelievable. It was a really good team. Graham Harrell, shout out to him. I've interviewed him about this game. Uh, they rushed the field like four times then it wasn't supposed to happen. It's the it's the prestigious Texas school against this upstart Lubbock. Lubbock itself was kind of a town early in its transition to being a little bit more modern now. Anytime you got lost, there's just a loop around the city. It's unbelievable. Imagine if like Boston was surrounded by a big highway loop and every time mm. you got lost, you just get back on the loop and then figure it out again. It's actually very convenient. But so you stayed hotel, at the Lubbock montage? We stayed at the uh I'm not gonna name the establishment. <laughs> But it was it was based on value. Value was their number one priority. Great. And when we checked in. McShay calls me. He's like, how's your room? I go, not great. I got board games in here, though. And he's like, there's blood on my sheets. And there's a sign that says, take your garbage with you. And uh, that was a tough, tough deal. But the game itself was amazing. We were in Lubbock for, for Halloween. And it was blood it was on one it. Of the what great- part of the sheets? You know, we didn't get to the location, actually. That's a great question. What's the worst part for the the blood, like, near your face would probably be It would be have the worst to be, yeah, pillows, yeah. headboard, like a linen headboard. But it probably wasn't going to be a linen headboard at this place anyway. You know, House had a whole bed bug situation once staying in New York City. Really? Yeah. Where it turned out the hotel had bed bugs, but he woke up and he was covered in bed bugs. And it was a whole disaster. How long does that take to go away? Uh, just-, just, well, mentally, years. <laughs> My worst, my worst travel situation was Winnipeg when I went, they made me go to interview Brian Dennehy for Season of the Brink when they were filming Season of the Brink when I was working for Page Two and I didn't have the pull to fight it yet and went down there in like January and it was like my- How old are you? 2001. It was like my first year for Page Two. So you should have had to go. There was no part of you that was sort of excited to go check out Winnipeg knowing you're probably not going to ever go there. It was just one of those, this doesn't feel right. Like you guys are making me go to pimp some movie that's probably not going to be very good. You're you're leveraging my column, which I like to think might have some level of integrity, but I didn't have the juice to fight it. And I went down to Winnipeg and it was like, I don't know, minus 38 windchill, some crazy number like that. And it was like minus eight, minus 38 windchill. And I had to walk to the set. set. The hotel was nice, but it was like, yeah, so, you know, the thing's two blocks away. And I'm like, I'll just walk. And they're like, don't walk. It was like one of those. Like, don't walk. Don't go. Don't be outside. Like, just. And I'm like, where the fuck am I? Like, Antarctica? So that one was bad. Jacksonville for the Super Bowl that year when the Pats won their third Super Bowl, which everyone complained about. And then people got mad that the media people are complaining. But, like, Jacksonville, like, wasn't ready to host a Super Bowl. I don't know if you went to that one, but. I was there. They, it was brutal. Yeah, the locals were 
apologizing like when you're like getting coffee. They're apologizing. I don't know why we had the Super Bowl. Well, because everybody bad. that got a new stadium got one. So that's right. I mean, it's this isn't hard to figure out. And they the, the downtown put- was closed. Like you couldn't drive in all this stuff. And then the other one that was just weird was the Houston, the Super Bowl, the Carolina Pat Super Bowl. Um, they they launched the light rail. And it was this trolley, this above ground trolley that, but they didn't have like enough signs up yet. And it was just hitting people. It hit like, I don't know, seven to eight people during Super Bowl week. So that, that was, I thought though, probably the weirdest trip where it was like, Hey, watch out for that light roll. It's the light rail's hitting people. It's new. Just keep an eye out for it. I was there at that one too. And what was weird um, and you're right, that was happening. But there was also this scene where they were just, there was parts of the city that weren't done yet. Which yep. I think is probably part of the theme. It's happened because I've been to Houston since then and I liked it a lot it's more. much than, better, yeah. When I went that year, I was like, you know what? If I never come back here, I'll probably be fine. But I've gone since, I think, twice and been like, you know what? It's actually, it's great now. Um, but there were places, so this is what, like, 04 or something? Yeah, 04. There were places you'd just be walking through the streets and it would be a street that wasn't even ready. And then each commercial entrance was just a bar. And well, I don't know how it had to be so like shady and the liquor licenses or who got access to what. But like, I remember walking into one and the guy was like five bucks and it's a cover charge. He handed you two canned beers and we all walked in like idiots because, again, we're local radio. We didn't have access to anything cool. So we yeah. went out and we were just like, let's see what happens. And the whole building that was like a storefront had AstroTurf duct taped to the floor so they could just tear it up. <laughs> and it was basically like whoever was opening a business there. In the meantime, this is going to be a pop-up shop dive bar for four or five days. And then you we'll need start a over license. Yeah, yeah, right. And it was low. They were like lined with them. And um, it was a bit of a free-for-all. Did you go to the Super Bowl in Dallas where they had the ice storm and nobody could go anywhere because you would just get off the highway because they had no salt, sand, anything? I think it was Packers... It was Packers Steelers. I was there and we were leaving the EA party that night. And luckily we had a curse. Other people were being told like cab drivers were saying, hey, I'm dropping you off here and I'm not going any further. It was like black ice. Yeah, it was. It was really that was like a video game. Yeah, that one's way up there. Um, I have another topic for you. Do you like Chris Middleton more or less than you did eight weeks ago? He's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah, I watch him. I do watch these games. Um, when when I'm a little disappointed, I'm not surprised. And when I'm really excited about some of these scoring runs he goes on, you know, this this is why we have a hard time with him. Because he's I got not excited. as great as his greatest and he's not as bad as his lowest. I got excited about him tonight. I'm like, you know, Chris Middleton's really kind of taking a step up this year. So I looked at his stats and they're exactly the same as they were last year. Like exactly. It's like Groundhog Day. And it's like, he's 50, 40, 90 guy, but he's, I, I guess he is what he is, but he does have these moments. You know, if you're comparing him like Tobias Harris, I feel better about him than Tobias Harris, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think he's, you know, I think whatever he is, he's a level above that, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, next topic. <laughs> if Dwight Howard had had 35 year old Chris Paul instead of Jameer Nelson in 2008, 2007, actually. Let's go. 2009. Uh, no, let's go 2008 leading into the 2009 unexpected finals appearance. But let's say Chris Paul shows up for Dwight Howard when he's been in the league three years. So that would be, he was in the 2004 draft. So 2007, 30, 
five-year-old Chris Paul shows up after that, what does Dwight Howard's career look like? Can Chris Paul get through to Dwight Howard like he did to DeAndre Ayton? Or was Dwight Howard, was the DNA already sending him into the goofy, weird, at one point, really good, but also like fucking frustrating, never really having a sense of who he was, Dwight Howard. Was that just destined to happen anyway, or could Chris Paul have changed that? It would have accelerated the downward spiral of Dwight Howard. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because he Dwight would not have responded to that. And they would have feud. So you're, you're thinking feud. Feud, yeah. I liked what Van Gundy said about the three R's tonight. He said like rebounding, rolling, and recovery maybe were the three for a center. He's like Aiton has the three R's, rebounding, rolling, recovery. I think that was what it was. But I was thinking like all the stuff Aiton does is the stuff I wanted Dwight Howard to do for his entire career. And it's the reason I have him probably 20 spots lower on any pyramid list than I should have him based on what his resume was because he was so fucking frustrated. He never knew who he was. Aiton knows who he is already at three years in the league. And it feels like it's because of Chris Paul. You know, I just read that Napoleon's actually a lot taller than we remember him historically. Is that true? Yeah, where he was measured, they used a different system of measurements. It's the same as George Washington. They measured his feet being broken forward, so he's actually a little overrated in the height business, but just as jacked. So that's those are two other things. <laughs> what would happen if Napoleon met Chris Paul? <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you my new top 20. All-time you know, players? No, no, right now. No, in the league. Because oh. remember, we did our top 40. Yeah. You you and I really are great on these, especially no, when no, you I'm just gonna, I, I, There's only No, no, I, I wasn't like I wanted yours. I'm just telling you two uh, things that clearly I Clearly, you didn't want mine. I know, because I didn't tell you I was doing it. Can Chris Paul be lower than seven on any list right now? If I'm trying to win the title right now, how is he not one of the seven guys? If it goes Durant, Jokic... Luca, Giannis, Steph, and LeBron, Chris, and then Embiid, Kawhi, Dame, Davis, and Harden, who I think all have little asterisks next to them for different reasons. If I'm trying to win the title and my life depends on it, I think I would want Chris over those next five guys. The way this current incarnation of Chris, 2021, not going to be denied Chris, I don't feel like this is an overreaction. What are your thoughts? No, it's not an overreaction. Okay, good. Because I always felt like, you know, it's once again, I just like saying it out loud every now and then. I like doing it more often than not to remind people like how deep that top is, you know, because last year, the idea that Anthony Davis is behind 10 people is, is insane. Like you couldn't say it. Even the biggest hardened critiques, uh, which I've certainly have been an author of many. Um, the idea that Harden's outside of the top 10 doesn't seem right with this at all. So Kawhi, who's, who's definitely floated towards the top more and more, but yeah, I, you know, that, that feels about so, right. So let's do it again. Top six, Durant, Jokic, Luka, Giannis, Steph, LeBron. Chris, I think he could be higher. Chris seven. And you could conceivably jump him over Steph and LeBron if you got ambitious. Just for if I'm trying to win this year's title. Why isn't, why is Jokic over him? <sighs> Jokic was unbelievable. His team was terrible. Like if you he just was. Split, yeah, I, I don't want to penalize Jokic because he was playing with Monty Morris and Austin Rivers and Fabio Campazzo. And 
Will and injured Will Barton and Michael Porter, who had a bad back and Paul Millsap's corpse. And I mean, that was ridiculous. But those next five after Chris, Embiid, who I'm just not convinced can play four straight playoff rounds, are you? I mean, you might be able to. I'm just... I imagine like at some s- point he will. I'd like <laughs> to see it first. Can I right. see it first? Yeah. Kawhi, who not only seems to get hurt every other postseason, um, who plays two-thirds of the regular season games, but then when he gets hurt, his team doesn't know what happened to him and he doesn't doesn't talk to them. And they're just in limbo the entire time. And it's like, ah, that's what you get. You know, Kawhi, you know, he's a hard guy to read. It's like, well, isn't this a team sport? If somebody's your best player, don't you want to know what's going on with him? Should it be a mystery? No, look, I've already covered this, man. Okay. I, I think it's so uh, lame. I, I do. And I think he's great. But I, you know, when people say, well, this is what you sign up for. Hey, can we sign up for the part where we just get a little bit more information? Yeah. Just can you just tell us what's going on day to day? Like if you, you were by just the way, like, do you feel any different now about all the different Kawhi stuff that you heard? Because you and I were, you know, look, when when stuff will come up every now and then we'll we'll talk to each other about it. Not all the time because I know we keep information from each other plenty. But I think the you, Clippers are terrified to talk about this to anybody because they're really worried about how this is going to play out. Okay, but do you think he's more hurt today than you did a couple weeks ago? I think he had a sprained knee. I don't think he had like a torn ACL any of that stuff. Okay. Do you? I don't know what to believe. That's why I, I'll, I'll just, I was actually deferring to you on the answer only because my mind hasn't been changed on anything because I wasn't that convinced I knew anything. So, all right. So in this tier, Embiid, Kawhi, Dame, who I just feel like has to be a level below Chris because we've never seen him affect other teammates like this as great as he is. Davis, who I don't know when he's going to be healthy year to year. Same for Harden. And that's your top 12. And then there's this next group that I feel really good about. Trey Young, Tatum, Booker, Mitchell, Zion, Paul George, and then DeAndre Ayton. I have 19th now. I'm just trying to win the title. I feel like those seven guys are like the next level of guys, which leads me to my bigger point, the exercise why I did this. By this list, I have the Suns with three of the top 20 guys. So maybe it's not as inconceivable and nutty and crazy that they're three wins away from the finals. If I'm trying to win the title. Where'd you, do you have Giannis? Did I hear Giannis in there? Yeah, Giannis was at him fourth. Oh, you did? After that, it goes Kyrie, Butler, Middleton, Drew Holiday, Beal, Randall, Jalen Brown, Bam, Judge. You know, it goes down all the usual suspects. But if I'm trying to win the title, guess who I'd love to have is DeAndre Ayton. Which leads me to my next question. Does this change how you would look at other guys in the league, like Robert Williams types, and then guys in the draft um, trying to find three R's, big guys, um, coming out of college in a way that centers, like, do you think that we're going to care more about centers now because Aiton's had such an impact? Or is he just a number one draft pick borderline franchise center who's just coming to his own. Does this change how you feel at all about the center position? It does a little bit, but I think we've both talked about this at least the last couple of years. It's like as much as we've seen the league go small overnight, it felt like once Golden State started doing it and playing Draymond at the five, it was like everybody was trying. Like when you weren't ready for that, it was horrifying. You know, when it was the early 
part of that. But then when other teams had really good players and they went small too, you're like, okay, all right, so this isn't the end of the world. Like the death lineup isn't the unsolvable thing here. Yeah. Um, but it felt like people were closing small, right? That was the other thing that was happening. But then when you add in Davis and, you know, you have to be big against Jokic, it felt like there was a couple teams and that put eight in, in this. And then certainly with Embiid and however Milwaukee's going to play with Giannis, you're like, you know what though? You don't, you don't want a six, seven center here out there all the time because you can, you know, even when Golden State had a few moments like that where they couldn't grab rebounds in some of their playoff games and you're going, all right, wait a minute, what the hell? Like people left this out of the scouting report. So I think Aiton is special. We can't just talk and rave about him as much as we have. I do too. But I, I think there's always going to be a market now of finding a five that can finish the game. And so I bring this up. Find. I bring this up because Wiseman, who's just getting thrown in trade rumors left and right, I don't think they want to trade him. I but agree with you, by the way. I don't. I think the Wiseman stuff it feels like it's coming from everybody else, but I'm not sure. You're right. Uh, if I'm the Warriors and I'm watching this series and I'm like, let's move hell in high water to try to get him to do some of the things we're watching it and do in these playoffs. If I'm Atlanta, I'm thinking the same thing with the Kwangu. Like, how could, couldn't that guy be Aiton for us? Like, just <laughs> send him home this summer, show him Aiton tapes and be like, this is what we need from you. Everything you're seeing from this. I think those are the two guys. And I do wonder if we did that draft again, I think he probably goes higher. Who, Kongwu? Yeah. He I was so six? impressed with him in very the very short amount of time that he's even played in the league. Now, he's not the size and Aiton's frame alone kind of ch- is a game changer. I mean, right. he's he's big and then he's big, big, you know, and not, like he, and not stiff at all. Like he's like weirdly life. No. And he's he's more fluid in, in the movements than Wiseman is at this point. Like I always yeah. felt like the downside of Wiseman, even though I like him a lot, was you could see him processing things. But then you, you say the just, same thing about Aiton two right, years you ago. You say the same thing about Aiton, so you can't just. But I don't. I don't always love that. Like it's always like the Peyton Manning thing, where like every rookie that throws a million picks, you're like, you know, threw a ton of picks. Peyton Manning. You're like, all right, well, he's only 500 <laughs> touchdowns away from being him. So, you know, I guess yeah. the blueprint is set. And you're talking about Gardner Mitchell. So settle down. <laughs> um, yeah, I just feel like uh, a Quangu especially is somebody that um, that was a really good pick. 21st and, overall in the league right now? A little too high? Yeah, maybe it, maybe it's at maybe, maybe I'm in the 30s. Uh, but I don't think when I just look at the list and I think that they're, they're really reasonably, whether you have 8 and 19th or they have 25th, 27th, whatever, right. they clearly have three of the best 30 players in the league now. And if you have three of the best 30 players in the league, you're probably going to be in the finals. So, uh, Next topic, who wins if Brooklyn's healthy against this Phoenix team? I'll give you Harden 20 pounds overweight, but healthy. And Kyrie just being Kyrie, but healthy. Um, what do you think happens in that series? I think it's too much scoring. Yeah, I'm, I'm not deviating from this Nets. We're going to roll everybody thing once we saw it kind of play out a little bit. That's how I feel too. Uh, last topic before we go to one more break. Is it weird for me to fantasize about Robert Williams becoming DeAndre Ayton next year for the Celtics? Like, why couldn't it happen? Did Wick just get th- to you? Throw me a Did bone. Wick, just throw Wick, me a bone. Why Wick couldn't was it like, happen? Hey, if you talk up Rob, <laughs> we're not going to be mad. <laughs> Nobody's trading for him. He gets hurt every other game. Just say it on paper. Not being hurt would be a great start. Yeah, they just his, play two weeks in a row. His passing and his catch radius are are bigger. Like, who has a bigger catch radius than Robert Williams? Like, I don't, I don't think anybody does. Thing. And his passing is is 
arguably better. And I think Aiton has like really good offensive awareness now. Um, but he's just Aiton's, not defensively. He's not even close defensively, like locked in the way you have to be still. No, he's, he's missing. He's missing he's two other things. He's been better though, right? Like we'd, we'd agree that it was, it was disastrous. Can't put you on the floor, defensive yeah. laps, rotation stuff, right? He's missing two things that Aiton has that aren't skills or considered skills, but I kind of feel like they should be. One is, uh, Aiton doesn't really get hurt. He, like Robert Williams, he jumps in traffic, lands on people's arms. He goes out of bounds and hits the basket support. He, he just gets injured. He, things happen to him and it's like, up. Oh, there's another Robert. He falls, lands wrong, lands on his wrist. Aiton's like really durable. So that's one thing. And then Aiton's ability to stay out of foul trouble is just amazing to me. That should be like his Achilles heel. And then on top of it, he also makes free throws. Everyone in the Suns teams makes free throws. Like, what were they, like 25 for 26 tonight or something? They missed their last one. Yeah, I think yeah. they made their first 25. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like they're going to win. Uh, all right, we're going to take uh, one more break, and then I have some weird stuff for you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad for you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries, maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp, a convenient and flexible way since it's entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You're going to start wearing shorts. You're going to start wearing bathing suits. You're, just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside. Do stuff. Or you don't have time to get outside. I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Uh, before we move on to weird stuff, you had another Aiton point quickly. The part that you know turned the story for Aiton this year too was you saw his his give a shit was at a really high level. Yeah, for somebody that looked like he was confused at other times and got you know we've been over this, but I'm like, man, he fights his ass off out there, right? That yeah. was something we kind of kept coming back to, but he still does it. But I still think there's like another nasty streak or nasty level that he's not even at yet. So like, mm. that was kind of funny as I was thinking about you talk about Robert Williams because somebody sent me a clip of uh, Rob and I, I just thought this was really funny. So I will share. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but 
there's a play where the other team's guy goes up, offensively flops into Williams. I mean, it's egregious. And then Williams goes to help him up. And the guy got the call. Right. The guy got the call flopping. And Williams' first instinct is, let me help this guy up. And God, you don't feel like Aiden would do that. I don't think Aiton would do it, but Aiton, I don't think would. I still think there's like a nasty level that I'm surprised like he's not quite at yet because all the other stuff is, you know, that's 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 tough work down there. 38 minutes a night in the playoffs, it just is. There's going to be stuff that happens, or you're going to get pissed off all the time. And I don't even think he has that. But I'd like to see Rob Williams have a higher uh, pissiness rating in 21-22. I think Aiton can get a little nastier. And I think he's going to have an incredible facial hair situation like four or five years from now. Early grace? Yeah, like an Arm and Gilliam type of just a the really hammer. nice. Yeah, like a, the ha- remember the hammer? Really nice facial hair thing. I do. Do you remember um, the story that Barkley said about him? He ran an extension cord out of Barkley's back deck into his condo for power. <laughs> to save power? Oh, my God. Save electricity. We had Holy Cross hockey players did that to us my senior year. That's just supporting the team, though. Special breed. Uh, some quick ones for you. Why didn't we have the Portis Crowder altercation yet? Does it concern you that we're not going to get it for game two? I got to tell you, for as tough as Crowder is, ever since J.R. Smith backhanded him in that Celtics-Cavs series. And I think he never Crowder, got retribution? Yeah, I, I think Crowder gets into the mix, but I don't, I don't think. Okay. I don't think he goes to the part. Like, Portis is what beat up his teammate. Yeah, so. Yeah, fair. <laughs> Okay, uh, audibling to other stuff. So I had the Red Sox game on tonight. Yes. And Otani, who I've I've watched a, n- a number of Angels Red Sox games this year. I don't usually watch baseball other than the Red Sox. But Otani's had a couple absolutely terrifying moments against them late in games. One of which was um, last night he came up. He It seems like the Angels, it's against Ottavino who's great unless he's closing. Ottavino, it's 3-1 count, two outs. And it's just like, Otani's clearly going to hit a home run to win the game. Crunches a line drive. We're playing the shift. It is a 200-foot ground ball out to the second baseman who throws him out, and that's it. My point is, Otani's terrifying. He's easily the most terrifying guy in the American League. If you're just watching your team play other teams day after day after day, there's no more terrifying hitter. And then I turned the game on today and I forgot that, oh, he's pitching today. And then it's like, oh, there's, and it, look, I'm not, I'm not creating the first, oh, I can't believe Otani is the modern day Babe Ruth conversation, but it's just so fucking crazy to watch this dude pitch and then bat second. And I actually feel like this isn't a big enough deal. And it makes me question everything. Like, like, do people care about baseball this way anymore? I feel like if this had happened in 1985, this would have been the biggest thing that happened in any sport that somebody was doing this. We would have lost our fucking minds. And now it's like this, this little let nice cute story that people are barely talking about. It's a 500 baseball team. It's one of the most incredible athletic feats to do this in the modern age, to do two different jobs at the same time where you're the best home run hitter and you're also a above average starter and you're doing this simultaneously. I feel like, how have we not, we've never talked about this on the podcast, you and me. And we were both enormous baseball guys. All right? Yeah. Like huge. And I don't know if that Red Sox season last year turned me off to it, 
too much between the Mookie thing and then calling up pitchers who hadn't pitched in six years. Yeah, um, it was gross. It was, you were, it was gross if you're a Red Sox fan. Coming I'm back. Of, I'm all the way back this year with the You Red were back Sox. on it early. And yeah. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't Day believe one. the rotation would hold up like this. The bullpen's been unbelievable. It feels like there's one big, you know, swing and miss guy in the rotation other than when Evaldi's, you know, has his moments of like, oh, hey, this guy's awesome. He's been like, really oh, good. Yeah. Right. Okay. This is an awesome topic. And I actually think it's a bummer for baseball. Because we cared more nationally about Ichiro, who was doing extraordinary things. But you were kind of wanting to see it because you, you had heard about him. And Bobby Valentin was the guy being like, okay, I'm telling you, this Ichiro get, comes over here. Like, wait until you see it. I'll never forget Doug Mankiewicz on the Dan Patrick show doing an interview with DP. And Dan yeah. was like, well, he might win MVP. And Mankiewicz is like, he better not. Like in this weird, like the patriotic red yeah, dog, like, kind of like a weird, wow. like, wait, what was that about? Um, <laughs> and Ichiro became somebody that I would want to watch. Remember that Mariners team won a million games in yeah. 2000. Like I was watching every Red Sox game, but I would want to watch Ichiro hit. So I'm somebody that's coming to this from a huge baseball fan. But if Otani can't save baseball, then who can? And I think it's actually a bad sign that this isn't a bigger deal. It's for, and he's, he's also really charismatic is the other thing. This is it's a make believe character, a make a yeah. movie make believe thing is happening. And he's this much better than everybody else. And it's met with national indifference. He had his series this year in Fenway. He hit two homers that I've never seen anyone hit in the ballpark before. One was a reach over, reach over the plate. Uh, over the wall, which looked like a pop out down the line, and it just went 330 feet. And then he hit another one that hooked around the right field wall. Um, every time he's up, I just assume he's going to hit a home run. I haven't felt that way about any American League hitter. Um, I I can't even remember the last time. He's just completely abjectly terrifying, and on top of it, really likable. And I think his teammates really like him. And it's so funny he's on Trout's team because Trout, we've had all the number crunchers telling us for seven years how valuable Trout was. And I just like don't care if I watch him. I've been to multiple Angel games. It's like, yeah, it's kind of cool to see Mike Trout. It wasn't any cooler than it was to see. I seen Barry Bonds in person to me was more of an experience. Seeing Barry in the, you know, before the uh, before his head started to grow, just watching him play left field and just seeing how great he was just at everything was really memorable. And I, I, I want to take my son to see Otani because it's like, I do wonder, A, are we sleeping on this? B, is this like the most generationally important baseball star we've had? And none of us just realize there's so much going on, pandemic and all that. None of us realize it. Um, is it a better experience of person? This is the first baseball player, I don't know, since Pedro, that I, I actually feel like I have to go see. I mean, that's what Pedro was like for me. I mean, the times where guys were hustling for tickets or I'd be driving down to Boston. I mean, I drove up to Montreal by myself to watch Pedro and I was totally, yeah. like, I didn't want to invite anybody because I didn't have to worry about getting two tickets. Although back then in Montreal, you were able to, you could probably get two tickets pretty easily. Um, I would say so. Do you feel like DeGrom, has DeGrom hit this point? I just don't it think it's the same numbers wise. Like the same reason I look at quarterbacks differently and scoring in the NBA is yeah. dominant as DeGrom is. When I see somebody compare it to somebody historically saying, hey, this is what this is now too. So whatever yardage and touchdowns are for quarterbacks all over the place and spread offenses in college and all that kind of stuff and everybody's leading passer ever has been in the last five years. 
I think DeGrom, DeGrom's great, but I'll take Pedro's ERA being under a two when the guy number two behind him in ERA was over four. Right. You know, what Pedro was doing in comparison to what else was going on in baseball is stupid, and that's why I'd argue Pedro's the greatest I've ever – well, first of all, he's the greatest I've ever seen, but you could make historical arguments he's the greatest pitcher ever considering what he was doing compared to the average for other guys that were doing it. So as great as DeGrom is, and there's some absurd numbers, we're on a run here of pitchers – that have put up historical numbers because everybody fucking strikes out all the time. Right. Well, it's like Theo had an interview last week and he was talking about baseball used to be a game played with nine people and now it's a game played with two. And that's the problem. Um, With all that said, I was trying to think of like the greatest players in my lifetime that you just kind of had to go see and what stood out. Like my generation grew up, but like we just revered Pete Rose. This is before all the gambling stuff and, he became such like a Vegas parody of himself, but like he just, we didn't have stats. There was no way to debunk it. It was just like, if there's a big game, I want that guy on my team. That guy's going to get a hit. He's going to come through. He cares more than everybody else. He'll bowl over the catcher. You know, that there's been a handful of guys and it just, Ricky feels like Henderson a, was like that R- for us. Ricky Henderson, a hundred percent. Cause you were scared to death of him all the time. And it was a show every minute. I mean, he's the ultimate, performer. I remember going to see Kirby but, Puckett. But real charisma too with Ricky. Right. Like really like an experience to see him in person. Absolutely. Every minute he was in front of people. He was Manny was like that too. I, to me, Manny's on that list. He was Prime in Manny. person. Yeah. Honestly, the Cle- some of those Cleveland years he had were as horrifying as anything he did with Boston. But he'd have stretches with Boston where he just, you, you weren't going to get him out. And you yeah, know, he'd Remy get hot for guys. like six straight weeks where he was just two for four every game. Yeah. And Remy just start laughing about it. But there was I think Kirby Puckett, I remember being there for a doubleheader in the 80s against the Twins. It was just kind of fun to watch because like Kirby Puckett was a big deal. But I don't know if it's the sport. I don't know if it's us. But I think the Otani indifference is disappointing. But like what's supposed to happen? I mean, I remember reading stories a couple years ago about how Aaron Judge, you know, here's a guy who's got the looks, he's got the size, he's got the charisma, and now he's in New York City and all the things that he's going to put together. It's like Aaron Judge is going to save baseball. I don't. I don't know if one person can save it. I do think McGuire hit that point in the late 90s where he was just hitting home runs that we just hadn't seen before. He was hitting 500-plus-foot homers, and everything was a bomb, and he just looked like he was a cartoon character. And we didn't know about the steroid part at that point. I think most of us enjoyed the Bonds part, too, right? Like I remember bartending, and you know, if, if he was up at bat, yeah, like, it stopped. No one, early yeah, 2000s. No one, you weren't getting a drink. <laughs> I still like the pre-whatever he ended up doing bonds that those first couple uh, Giants years when he when he still had his athleticism before he just turned into like a softball player, basically. Um, but yeah, I think the Otani thing, what, what struck me, what a missed opportunity was for the Yankees. Because, and I'm not the first person to say this either. But the Yankees are in a real crisis right now. It's it's the least like Yankee team probably this century. Every friend I have who loves the Yankees detests this team. They detest how they're put together. They don't like the manager. They think the owner doesn't give a shit. The owner is very Paul Gastony. Um, It's a team. It's a roster you just don't want. It's money going to the wrong people. That's it's heavily right-handed. Chapman feels like he might be headed the wrong direction, and. It's a three-year fix, you know. It's not. It's not something where ne- you know, sign somebody, sign this guy, and we're good. 
And if they had Otani, nobody would care because he would be the most exciting thing that happens in New York City. And it's a shame that, you know, he went to Anaheim where I just feel like that's a guy that should have been on the Dodgers or the Yankees. And that's it. He should have been on one of those two teams because he's that big of a star. And I think he needed like a historic franchise. I'm, you know, no offense, Angels fans, but I just, and as you know, I hate the Yankees more than anything. He just, he makes so much more sense to me as a Yankee. I think it would have been incredible. So I was researching it because I couldn't remember why he didn't go there. And it turned out what happened was I'd just forgotten. He actually eliminated them as a contender. He decided he wanted to be on the West Coast. He didn't want to be on, uh, on an East Coast team. So he cut out the Yankees. So the Yankees couldn't have gotten them anyway. But it's a shame that he didn't end up on, I don't know, one of the two, the Dodgers or the Yankees, I guess would be the two teams, right? The Red Sox, I wouldn't have totally needed them, but I just don't know. Maybe you can't have the same impact on the Angels. I don't know. It's not like the NBA where if somebody's a transcendent superstar, it's going to happen and it doesn't really matter where it is, right? LeBron's in Cleveland. It doesn't matter. I think it does matter in baseball. I really do. Maybe. I think most everyone would agree, hey, if he's with the Yanks, okay, but does that mean now that you're watching Sunday Night Baseball? Like, here's the deal. When the Angels are on Sunday Night Baseball, are you denying yourself watching Otani because he's on the Angels when you can just to simply do it now? So if he's on the Yankees, I get that it's a bigger market. I get the Dodgers are more important in this part of the country than the Angels will ever be. But I... I can't move off the thing that there just seems to be this kind of like, oh, that's right. That's that crazy story there. And people aren't talking about it the way we would be talking about it. Like this would be an almost daily check in on national talk radio when I started at ESPN in 2006. Yeah, this would be a big part of it. You have stringers on from Angels games. Now, some of that stuff was outdated in the way that we did it, but you would have thought you were doing the right thing topic wise and programming wise. And now I don't ever hear any Otani stuff. Um, and I don't listen as much as I used to, but whatever. I don't think it's a market thing. I think it's a fan thing. I think it is a totality number of fans. And you see it with the Knicks, right? The Knicks are half decent and it feels like the most gigantic thing in the world. Well, why is that? Because there's a fucking million Knicks basketball fans. There's generations of fans. It's the biggest city we have. And just more people care about the New York Knicks than care about I don't know, the Detroit Pistons. It's just, it's just a fact for nine different reasons. So I think with baseball, the Angels probably have, I don't know, one thirtieth as many fans as the Yankees. The Yankees that have been around for a kajillion years that are in the biggest city that get passed down by generations. There's just more of them. So maybe more people would be talking about him, which would make it a thing. But I do wonder once we get through this basketball season and things settle down, And if Otani, you know, he's, I think he's over 30 homers or he's at 29, but if he starts putting together some months and, you know, becomes a conversation, maybe it'll happen. Because what else are we going to talk about? We're going to have like a dead month before we get into football. Maybe, but we have had some of the most amazing postseasons in baseball. We've had these incredibly historic moments, like some of the things that have happened in the last, I don't know, five, six years of playoffs. Like, think how great baseball, like playoff baseball really is when you allow yourself to like immerse yourself in it. Right. And that tension, that tension is like, it's not really matched in any other sport because I'll be immersed you, this year, Ryan Rosillo, because my team's good. Sounds like it. Uh, but I just, I don't know, man. I almost, I, I, I feel for baseball on this one because I think a lot of people would say, oh, if you were in New York, this would be a big deal. 
I don't know. I think nationally, baseball is just a tough sell, even if Otani is is a superhero. And I swear we're not doing the segment of here's why you should care more about this because this stuff's organic. People are going to care about what they want to care about, you know. And and to me, the question is more, why don't they care more about this? That's what's surprising. Like I, my son cares. Because Otani is like a little in the TikTok generation because he's got the tape measure homers. He can pitch. He's somebody you can cut in little clips. But just in general, he has not captured the imagination. Um, Another thing, MLB draft is coming this weekend. The Red Sox have the fourth pick. I've read all the mock drafts. I've discussed mock drafts with a couple friends. I have opinions. And... uh, <laughs> you want Leiter from Vanderbilt? Yeah, so Jack Leiter, who was the guy I wanted, I had no idea he was Al's son. And once again, we're 100 years old. This came out way, way late in my research. It's like, that's it's Al's son? What? But he's a sophomore. And the funny thing about baseball is you really can leverage, you know, the top five a little bit if you can threaten to just go back for another year. So you can be like, all right, Tigers, yeah, take me. I you know, basketball, you're just kind of stuck with who takes you. Once you're in, you're in. Baseball, there is like this little dance you can play. What a much better system, by the way. Like when you way get better. when you get drafted, you have to play for this team. Right. Can you what, imagine wait, what's like, a better system? I'm saying for fans, you know how much it would suck if Luca was like, actually, and like this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or LeBron goes, ah. Well, isn't there a rule like after two years? I thought this happened with the Rubio situation where you could just sit out two years of drafts and then you get thrown back in. I thought, but it has to be two years. It just doesn't happen. The baseball thing is different because there was always the signing bonus argument and guys that were supposed to be top 10 picks would get drafted a couple rounds later. And then you were trying to figure out like the signage, uh, the slotting for it, which was supposedly never real, but it was always real. Um, But baseball draft, has been different now because I think back when we were growing up, people were just like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. Nobody kept right. track of it. Nobody even, think, it wasn't even right. televised, I don't think. You just kind of read about it in the paper the next day. I think July, which is always a terrible sports month, has been lit with the finals, with the MLB draft. We have Wimbledon. The Euros have been amazing. I watched that entire Spain Italy game today. I thought uh, soccer really needs to figure out the whole, our team's dead. Let's just play for PKs. Let's just let's just basically park it for the last twenty five minutes of this game and take our chances. That's a tough one. I love it is, soccer. but I don't think it's I don't think it's as bad. Like every time I throw on one of those games, it's kind of like I'll have stuff going on during the day, and I go, okay, you know, it's if you turn this on, you're not yeah. going to want to change the channel. Yeah, and it's and as we've talked in the past about the replay stuff with the NBA, the NBA is eliminating too many moments at the end of games. Like the NBA is a game with a series of audits the last few minutes. Yeah. And when you watch soccer and it's all like, yes, VAR sucks and everybody's mad about it and all that kind of stuff. But there's, there's more moments where there's this momentum building to one side and then there's this goal that happens and you're like, oh my God. And the presence, like the stadium in this feel. And obviously I think just it being foreign um, for us that are all watching, there's like this, this extra value to it. That's hard to explain because it feels like something that's so far away from us. that's happening. But, um, I, I have, I do have a soccer fix. Oh, okay. Go ahead. It's going to make the soccer fans mad. That doesn't happen very often. I don't want to change the, the number of subs that a team can have. I think you should be allowed to sub a guy back in once. 
if you want. So uh, you're my striker. I take you out at like the 55 minute mark and I bring in some fresh legs. Get to extra time. I can pull you back for the extra time if I want. You can come back in once because this is basically like, uh, you know, youth soccer, most levels, they'll have versions of this. But um, I don't like the concept of once somebody's out, they're out. I think you should get a little more leeway with that. It seems like something they came up with in like 1892. And they didn't really think it through. And now we're just kind of stuck with it for the rest of our lives. Why can't the person come back in? I'm all for it. Uh, which means How many it's extra probably... times do we have to watch where everybody's dead? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I, I imagine the fact that we both are for it means, it everyone... means the soccer people. Hate right. It. Yeah, right. Like, what are you doing? Um, but like, it's kind of like the overtime thing in basketball. Like if you foul out and then there's overtime, like, shouldn't you be able to come back in and have one more foul? Something like that. I mean, what's the problem with wanting to bring back the better players? Now, granted, fouling out, you're being penalized for the teams taking you out. It's part of the I'm sure part of the reason why it's like, hey, if you're that much better physically, if your fitness level, if you're that well fit, um, you should be rewarded for it. But I think if there's all this extra time and the stuff that we're watching now, like, I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But again, I'm not exactly the guy to go to to ask about it. It's a brutal amount of running. Um, Conor McGregor? I was trying to go, but I don't think it's going to happen. So my theory on this is that eventually the old guy, they lose it, and then there's like four more fights, and they lose like three of the four, and then they're basically done, and then we realize like, oh, they got old. I don't know if he's at that point yet, but um, I was talking to R.L. Hawani about it, who doesn't think he's at that point. But he's nearing it potentially, but uh, do you feel like McGregor is still a must-watch for you? Like, you have to clear out the Saturday night. There's no way you can miss it. Is he on that level? Yeah, he is. Okay. He is. Now, I think the big thing with the second Poirier fight is that everyone around it was like, I can't believe how poorly prepped he was for the leg kicks. And that's anybody, like, I'm asking John Anik. I'm going, what the hell? What, ha what happened? He goes, everybody knew about it. Everybody talked about it. And he wasn't ready for it. So, you would think that's the first thing that they change going into this one. I also think McGregor, so his likability scale is really low. So I think people like watching him fail. Like whenever somebody mm. includes the Mayweather loss as part of how many losses he's had in the last four years, I'm like, okay, you, you included the Mayweather loss. Like, give me a break. Come on. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I'm going to watch it. I was even thinking about going, but the perfect storm of Vegas being open, Connor fighting again all the restrictions dropping off the last couple of weeks, this is not an easy ticket to get. So I'm out. He has a special relationship in the Simmons family because my daughter uses his CBD spray. <laughs> if it's great for soccer, like you have like a sore, like you get kicked in the leg or something, you spray it on. It's like the Terminator. Makes That's pain clear. Go away. Is that clear? And what are the high school youth association <laughs> in California? Sure so. Did you just knock her out? Suspended. I hope not. <laughs> It's a good one, though. Those sprays now are unbelievable. Remember back in the day, we used to have to just sit in a vat of Icy Hot to feel better. Now it's like you spray this one thing on you and your injuries magically disappear. You magically see, disappear? Well, they just feel better. You Sounds like you should be doing calf, some CBD spray better. spots. I probably should. This is like a free plug for them. Listen, I love any product that makes my daughter, if she's in pain, feel better. So I'm, I'm supporting that hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> this went off the rails. I flew cross country 
uh, with her last week to Boston. Yeah, and how'd uh, that go? Guess what? People still suck. It's good. It's good to have it back. <laughs> you forget the pandemic. You're not around people all the time. People are still super annoying. You just forget. Give me an example. Eh, you know, did the two guys in the, in the, across the aisle have to talk all six hours? Probably not. Wow. You don't like guys talking to each other? No, nah, not for six hours. Loudly. No. You, you don't have earbuds? Can't afford any? You didn't find like you're, you're, you don't feel like you're more annoyed by people now that we're getting acclimated back into society, which is great, by the way. Yeah, I didn't do a good job of uh, interacting with people for a year plus. So I'll, I'll admit this has been a <laughs> this has been a tougher transition for me than maybe I you thought. You think you're too weird now? Yeah, definitely. Oh, really? You crossed the line. You're, yeah. you're like officially weird now. I was always a bit agoraphobic, but I, I don't. I, agoraphobic's probably strong. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not Bill Murray at the beginning of What About Bob? You're loved um, in the Simmons house. Yeah, I know Maybe people you just like need to hang out with Ben Simmons. You, know, you just I, come over and, and you could lift. By the way, Ben Simmons lifting now. Okay, tell him not to do squats and stuff. I He's just not doing that. I see. No, just, just, tell, just curls. Just he doesn't want to do that. All right, maybe I'll come over and teach him some form. But yeah, I, I think, uh, look, I know we always joke about me not having any friends and being by myself all the time. I know that people actually do like me, um, especially once they get to know me. But, it's like a Stuart Smalley sketch. Yeah. I, I, I like me. I'm worthy. <laughs> <laughs> but your boy spent a lot of time uh, by himself. And then when I went out to Vermont, you know, I had to watch games every single night. Yeah. So that was like two plus weeks. And I've got this great lake set up. And then my friends were like, what are you, what are you going to like? Can you come over for dinner or whatever? I was like, no, not really. And then like one guy stopped by on Sunday and I think we did 12 and a half hours on one Sunday and he just walked by and saw me taping and then left. So yeah, we're, uh, we're slowly getting back to speed. We'll figure it out. I think you should take all of August off and just, and punt on the 2021 NBA draft. I can't, I can't punt on the draft. I can't. You can't, you done. love it too much. I've already done like 30 scattering reports. So, uh, shout out I have to a couple of guys. I have some guys who are guys that you're warming up to here. Oh, there's not a warm up there. It's a full on, it's a full on heat check with me and book night. We're, we're you like in. book night that much, huh? Yeah. I'm in on him. He, on some of the draft guides, he's like low, you know, the 18 to 22 range. That doesn't make sense. That guy's going to be good. I'm in on him. I like, seems like him. He always seems lower than how teams talk about him with book night. I, I just I feel agree. like, again, I don't talk to every team. So especially coming right out of the playoffs and you just, as always, I look through the draft and I just try to picture, I'll go, I'll read, I'll read KOC and sharks and those guys read the draft guides. Then I'll go on YouTube and do like the quick blink tech, Gladwell blink test. And it's just hard not to watch the playoffs and think like, all right, are you a three and D guy? Are you an instant offense point guard? Are you a three R's big guy? Um, are you like a six, seven undersized, but you can hit threes and you're tough and you know, you're not going to get overrun. There's only like five types of players anymore. So if somebody's not one of those five guys, are you a shooter? Can you just shoot threes? If you're not like one of the five or six types, why am I drafting you? Yeah, I think the story of the draft right now is are there going to be a few teams regret uh, regretting passing on Jalen Green? Mm. Like, is Jalen Green going to be the story of this draft five years from now? 
or regretting taking him too too high. Yeah, but there's there's more Jalen Green love out there um, than there is like angst about because the physical stuff he all checks all the boxes. He does things in some of those G League games none of the other guys do, and that's against men. And that jump from that G League stuff with the 10 teams, which we've already talked about, like there's a significant gap. And you have to remember that when you're watching Jalen Green versus watching Jalen Suggs, who I like a lot, Gonzaga. But um, the Jalen part of it is, it feels like that's at least the story now at the top of the draft. Is is somebody going to go, Wait, he's he's going two, or he's you know he's going three, and then we look back in a couple of years and be like, I can't believe he didn't go number one, which I'm certainly not certain of uh, at all. But sometimes these drafts, we just decide who the number one guy is before everybody goes balls deep in their homework, and it feels yeah, like all, Cunningham Cunningham's just, just penciled in one. But this yeah. happened with Fultz, right? Where it was just like Fultz is number one. It's like is he? And then the Celtics were like, is he? And look, they I, traded back. I have the tweets that back that one up, but I. Was I said, hey, why isn't Tatum even mentioned for one? Like, why is Fultz thought to be so far ahead? And it was because Fultz off the international stuff and the end-to-end stuff. And that team sucked. And, um, you know, then he had the injury flags. But I always thought that Tatum, and look, there's other stuff we've gotten wrong, certainly. But um, the Tatum one never made any sense to me. Because when you watch Tatum when he was healthy and he missed some time because of the foot, you're like, this guy's yeah. like 6'6", six, six, or 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, and he can handle like this and go and and he's got this mid-range pull-up. Like, how the hell is this guy at this size with this movement? How is he not even considered to be one? And you're right. Like, Fultz was, it was just decided. My issue with Cunningham, if I'm taking somebody number one in the draft, and I don't feel like that person can ever be a top five guy at his position, why am I doing that? So my issue with Cunningham which I would have to figure out if I was the Pistons and I would have to do an incredible amount of recon on It's like, can this guy be a top five guy at his position five years from now, six years from now, whatever. Is that conceivable? You don't know the Top five guy? Yeah, I think- Top five guy. One of the five best point guards at some point in his career. And if he can't, then why am I taking him first? Because you think like Jalen Green, whether he makes it or not, he at least has the tools and the upside slash ceiling that potentially he could be a top five guy at that position at some point in his life. Yeah, but I wouldn't argue with that way. I'm, I'm sorry, I just wouldn't. So like, okay, because Jalen fits the physical profile, like, yeah, maybe he could be a top five guy like that. I also think the point guard position is so incredibly deep that if Kate is six to 10, there's still a really good chance that you look at somebody six to 10 in the position going, all right, I still would have been okay taking him at number one overall. I mean, it does feel more and more, though, like there's going to be some weird surprise like there normally is that somebody maybe who goes six and you're like, you know what? Everybody should have taken this guy. Like, I don't think it's Keon Johnson of Tennessee. If he ended up being the best player in this draft five years from now, I'd be a little surprised by that. Because What about Mo Basketball. I love his skills. I love the fact that he's kind of like that five that we think can stay on the floor, you know, that we were talking about before we were talking about Aiton. I think he's a little passive at times, but I think it's oddly because he's the younger brother and his brother's actually on the team and his dad's the coach that maybe he's just mm. going to grow out of that overnight. So I don't even look at it as some negative. I just think there's some passivity at times from him that I would like to not see ever. If I was Detroit, I would try to move back a spot. I would basically do the Tatum Fultz trade and try to move backwards and get Mobley and get something else. But what do I know? I'm just a guy looking at YouTube clips. Speaking of draft, Trent Dilfer invited me to the QB Elite 11 
down at Miracosta here, high school last week. I didn't tell you about this. Oh my God. So Spencer Rattler was there, did not throw when I was there. Chip to uh, socialize with people? I did. I did great. You did good? Uh, good. Yeah. Sam Howell was there, the UNC kid, and then Malik Willis, the the stud from Liberty. Who we actually, yeah, we spent a little time with him. Always like to see younger guys who are great around older dudes. Um, and he's built like a middle linebacker playing quarterback, by the way, too. So um Malik did Dofer was, do the thing where he put gets all of them and he's like, let's go to lunch. And then he takes the car keys and he just kind of throws them toward the group and sees who grabs them. No, because Dofer wasn't allowed to be there because one of his oh. high school players was there. So it was against the rules. So oh. yeah. So you should have done the car keys thing. Well, what was funny is the guys that knew how close I am with Dilfer were like, hey, by the way, that you're not here for the full Dilfer experience with the quarterback kids, the college kids that are the counselors that are going to be draft picks, and then with the 20-something high school kids, right? And so the kid for Ohio State that was supposed to go to Texas, and then he, he, he committed and went to Ohio State, his, um, his stuff seemed to be the most impressive. But then some of the counselors told me that you know there were – there was like my eye is not as trained for a quarterback as it is for the NBA guys. All right. So anyway, what? Back, yeah, back to it, back to it though. Um, they were like the fact that you're not here to experience Dilfer on 11 screaming, but like in the most passionate, loving way, you're missing out on something that's worth the price, of, uh, worth the price of admission. So hopefully I'll get to see that one day, but it was a really cool experience. Lead 11 does a great job. So thanks to everybody for having me out. All right. What do you have on the podcast this week? We're doing a big look at name, image, and likeness, uh, a reporter that's on it, a friend of mine that runs a business that's sponsoring athletes now, and uh, a woman that I know that is uh, part of an app that's trying to connect players to brands. So this is uncharted territory, so I'm going to try to do a deep dive on that. I have an open and out. We'll do some life advice, and then uh, we'll figure it out. Because I knew we'd do all this NBA stuff tonight. I wasn't going to do it again in the morning. So all there right. you go. Rousseau, good to see you as always. Thank you. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Rosillo. Thanks to Kyle Creighton, our producer. We will see you again on Thursday night, uh, leading with game two of the finals and then a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Back then. <laughs>